Hey, what's up everyone? Thank you so much for coming and spending some time here with me today. My name is Matthew Lestalia. I am the founder of Resilient Talent Solutions. This is a company that I started because I saw the connection between our sense of satisfaction and our sense of fulfillment at work as people as being one of the key components, one of the key aspects of life that we can really make a, a, a significant shift within in order to create a kind of cascading effect in the rest of our lives. And what I mean is when we go to work and we're stressed out and and we feel underappreciated and undervalued, we are more likely to carry that type of that emotional set, the the emotional responses to those things back with us home. And then we're gonna feed that into if we have our if we have kids, you know, we're gonna feed that into our families, our spouses, our children, our friends, um, you know, our brothers and sisters and our parents. Like we're going to they're gonna feel the output of what we are experiencing, the emotional output of what we're experiencing at work. And the beautiful thing about that is that it actually swings both ways. So it's not just you had a really crappy day at work and then they're going to feel that. That's absolutely true. That is going to happen. However, it's also true that if you have an amazing day at work and you come home just shining, you know, and just glowing that they're going to feel that too. And if, and if we're able to create more scenarios like that, then we're going to be able to impact a lot of people in a lot of people's lives and increase a sense of fulfillment, increase a sense of purpose, increase a sense of purpose, um, which when you do that, then you create the, you know, repeatable kind of blueprints of that scenario that we just laid out of, of coming home much happier and uh, with much more kind of zest and enthusiasm than you maybe are right now. And so, my idea with this is I wanted to help people to accomplish this. And so originally I was helping people to do this, to find ways to, to find their work to be more fulfilling and to, um, and to increase their motivation. And then it hit me that why not, instead of helping people on a one-to-one, uh, level, you know, why not help the businesses? Why not help the businesses, you know, focus on on their employees, right? Because a lot of times we find ourselves um, as business owners, uh, we we really focus on what the problem for our clients and our prospects are, right? Because that's why we're in business. We're there. Anybody that's in business understands that you're in business in order just to kind of solve a problem. Um, and the more nuanced and the more complicated the problem, the higher the skill set that is required in order to solve that problem. And essentially the more money you, that you can charge for your services or your products. And that's essentially how most of the world works. Now there's, there's fun stuff. There's like the recreational side and, and things like that. But, but typically in the businesses that were, that I'm going to be discussing, that's really kind of the focus. Um, is solving a problem and even on a lot of the recreational side you're still solving a problem right like if you're if you're managing a hotel you're still solving a problem of where people are going to stay while they're on vacation right if you are if you even have like a 
uh, like a paragliding service or whatever, you know, you're solving the problem of, well, what are we going to do on this vacation to make it memorable, right? It's, people have this like, oh, I want to go to, we, we had just, my wife and I and our kids, we just went to Hawaii to celebrate my, uh, my stepdaughter's birthday. And, uh, and we were looking for things to do. And so those were problems. Like we, we, you know, you don't think of it as a problem, but you know, it is, you know, like I have, I want to go there and I want to optimize my time. I want to participate in events that are memorable and I need stuff to be able to do. And so between looking at, you know, stuff to do at the beach, stuff to do within the mountains, you know, uh, uh, ways to integrate with the culture, um, you know, kind of Polynesian and Hawaiian culture, you know, like finding events and things to, to match both of those, you know, to match the, the event side and, and the kind of categorical side with memory side, you know, it, those are problems to be solved. And so each service, like you wouldn't think a luau is solving a problem, but Solve the problem of where we we're going to eat. So it solved. It answered the question of how are we going to get to know a, a little bit more about uh, Hawaiian culture, and so it was really cool. But yeah, so that's the the whole point being that you know like we're in the business of solving problems, and we look at how we solve the problems for the people that we are um, that we're providing services or products for. But oftentimes we forget about how we solve problems for the people that we hire. Right. And because a lot of times, and I think historically what, what is the case is that we think about this, like, okay, I hire you and that's solving the problem. And now it's time for you to solve problems for me. And we, I, I think that, that this is where the biggest, I think this is the big, the single biggest problem with almost everything we're going to talk about once it comes to, um, retention. You know, and even retention feeds into like talent retention feeds directly into talent acquisition. So if we want to look at how to attract people and, and how to acquire them, you know, it's a lot of it is in how we're retaining our current people. We can take what we're doing with our current people who are choosing voluntarily to stay with us and we market that. Like and you can you can talk to your people and be like, why are you staying here? Like, that's an okay conversation to have. I know it's crazy communication, mind blowing, but you could do it. You can have that, you can have that talk. And then you can like, Oh, I didn't even realize that was a great selling point. Or like, you really appreciated that. That's, that's cool. And then you can add that into how you, you know, kind of reach out and, and, uh, and attract talent. Right. So I think, um, like I said, that disconnect, is probably the single most important aspect or one of the most principled aspects um, that we really need to be focusing on, right? So we we need to think of it as an ongoing relationship because it is. You need to think about this as like an enduring project, not like, okay, I hired you, cool, now do work and, you know, continue to do work and, uh, you know, Always show up to work on time, never have car problems, never have problems with people watching your kids. Just show up at the same time every day, you know, that you're supposed to be here and do your work and do it well and then go home and I don't care what you do, right? Like we ha we are so far beyond that, uh, any sort of stage of reality if that was ever a thing. 
Um, we're so far beyond that, that that's not acceptable. And we're seeing that, we're seeing the proof and the evidence of that in the high attrition rates and in people that are quitting their jobs right now, especially in the industry, in, in, I keep saying industrial, in the manufacturing industry, huge numbers of people quitting. It's bananas. I don't have them pulled up right now, but I know that in the, oh gosh, I could run through. So big picture resignation numbers um, for the United States. We saw, what was it? In November of 2021, we saw 4.53 million people quit their jobs. In that month, 4.53 million people quit their jobs. That's I'm pretty sure that's close to double the highest number we had ever seen recorded in history. Now there is like kind of a like a per capita kind of thing that you have to take into consideration um, because just there's more human beings, right? But at any rate, um, in the modern era, that is almost double anything that we had seen before. And there has been some, you know, it started kind of going down. It hit like, what was it, 4.53, and then it hit like 4.3 in January, then 4.2 in January. We're like, cool. And then February, 28 days, little baby February, it shot back up. I think it was 4.35. So it went from 4.2 million people quitting their jobs in one month to 4.35. Um, and I'd have to go back in and, and check out um, March. And uh, But I, yeah, I'd have to go back in and check because I'm not exactly sure. Pretty sure it stayed about the same if it didn't go up. And when I say, say stay the same, it means again, around 4 million people quit their jobs again in that month. It's not like it's not like the same people stayed quitting their jobs. It's not like a, a tracking mechanism that's like, okay, these many people have still quit their jobs from the month. You know, it's like this month, that many people did it, right? This that many people quit. And so uh, that's why I started the business. Uh, and, and, you know, to answer both of these questions, to to address both of these problems simultaneously, right? How do we create a sense of fulfillment and purpose and, and increase motivation as the employee, as the person that's going into work? Especially because, I mean, honestly, like we hear all the time that, you know, you should find something that you love to do and then find a way to make money doing that. And that sounds great. And that if you can do that, awesome. But there's so many people that just, that, life gets in the way or life got in the way and it's going to be really hard for them to try to find a way to do that now but they have a certain amount of skills or you know whatever the case may be uh they don't really have a, a hobby that they can monetize they're going to be doing work to earn money in something that they're not intrinsically passionate about so so it's one of my passions to help those people to find more internal since it won't be intrinsic, it's not like a natural part of, of who they are, but a more internal sense of motivation um, rather than external. And so real quick, just to, just to take a look at, at that um, before we I talk briefly again about the other side, the business side. Um, intrinsic, just real quickly, uh, intrinsic motivation is something that it, it's like just part of you. It's part of who you are. And so if you, when you get up in the morning and you're like, I just like the way I start my day is by grabbing my guitar and playing it, you know, or, or like, I can't wait to get home from work. So that way I can, I can, uh, I can play that guitar or I can go for a run or I can, you know, like those things that just, nobody's got to tell you to do it. No one's got to 
you know, you don't even really have to tell yourself to do it. There's just, and it's like the act of doing it itself brings a sense of pleasure and enjoyment um, and things like that. So, uh, and then, so, and then you have, so that's like, that's like prime zone. And that's very rare to align that with, um, with income, right? So now, I mean, we are able to do that now more than ever, but still for the vast majority of people, that's not going to be the case. So then we want to look at what we can do, right? And so there's internal and external motivation. And external is basically like carrot and stick, right? Like, hey, if you don't show up to work, we're going to dock your pay. If you don't show up to work three times in this period of time, you're going to get laid off. Um, if you hit your sales quota this this quarter, you're going to get this bonus. Um, if you put together this many widgets this week, then you'll get a half day off on Friday. That kind of thing, like very direct. You do this and this happens, right? That's essentially what it is. And it's you do this good and you get this good thing. You do this bad and you you don't get this good thing or you get this bad thing. That's essentially the way that that goes. Um, and so then internal is kind of like that that middle ground. And that's really what you want to shoot for is... is Something where having done it, um, having completed a task, um, having been a part of something um, brings you uh, a higher sense of of um, satisfaction. So you may not, and there there are tactical ways that you can help to ensure that these events are more likely if you're in the managerial supervisory kind of positions. Um, I'm not going to dive fully into that because it's not the point of today's episode. Um, but it's, it's stuff like, you know, you want, you want, um, a sense of autonomy. You want, uh, to be able to understand kind of where your set of tasks falls into conjunction with everybody else's tasks to, fulfill the the mission understanding that your work is valued and that and and that you value it because you understand that position of it being able to follow through with something from beginning to end these kinds of things are are what help us with the internal motivation just because that's it's like the way that we're wired you know if i'm just taking a rivet and putting it into a car it's a different scent you know into a car door it's a different sense of satisfaction than you would get if you built the whole car, right? If, if you think about it, uh, you know, cause that's really complicated. Like if you had like a model car and you just like, okay, well the family is all sitting around the table and we have this model car and, uh, or we're building 70 model cars that we're selling online. And, you know, I'm in the position where I put the, this wheel on, I take glue, I take, I put the wheel and I put it on, take the wheel, glue, put it on wheel, glue, put it on. Right. And that is not as satisfying um, or that the satisfaction you get from that is increased when you see the model car at the end and you understand that it's got to have the wheels on it in order for it to look complete and look fantastic. Um, it's even more so if you were involved in more of the steps or in all of the steps. If you were the one who started the car and did the whole thing by yourself, then, you know, you're going to get a larger sense, you know, and then you can, ex- you can find middle ground. Like, okay, you do all the wheels. You do the wheels and the doors, you know, and the kind of the larger the scope, the better. And then, like I said, the autonomy. So, hey, listen, we need the wheels on the car and the wheels need to be able to stay on. 
how you do that, I don't really care, but the wheels need to go on, they need to be level, they need to look right, you know, realistic, and they need to stay on the car, and they need to be able to turn, maybe, you know, and then, and then outside of that, like, that's what needs to be done, that's the end product now, how you get there is on you, all of those ways are ways to spur the internal motivation, but, so like I said, I wanted to marry that, strategies and tactics to do that with, uh, for the individual, for the employee, with the employer and, 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 you know, wanted to look at how do they help to create that environment. And, and in the process of, of thinking about this, it was a lot of the thought was about, well, why would they care? You know, like they're going to hire people and like, I, oh, who do I care? Why would I care? What motivates you when you're here to put rivets in a car door? You know what I mean? Like, I know that you're not going to love this job. You know, you're not going to love this job, but let's not play around with it get to work. I'll pay you. You know, I'm paying you for your time. I'm not paying you to, to enjoy yourself. Right. And so, um, but like I said, that, uh, the pandemic was a real big eye opener and that great resignation, all these people quitting their jobs. It's, it's, it's changing the game a bit. And, and now we're seeing, actually, you know what, I think this is a good time to go ahead and dive into this. So the, what I wanted to do today was actually to go over a, uh, this article I was reading um, by Travelers, which is like the insurance company, right? This blew my mind, right? Like, cause I read this article and I was like, okay, three steps to help attract and retain skilled manufacturing talent. Um, I'm trying to find the date because I think that would be relevant. Ironically, I don't see it. Um... That's okay. I mean, it's copyrighted 2022. That doesn't mean that it's the date of the article. It's weird. Weird. It says by, but here's, okay. So like I said, the title was three steps to help attract and retain skilled manufacturing talent. This is by Travelers, who's an insurance company. This is really weird. So wait, let me dive in just a half, half a step a little bit further. This is not just by Travelers. This is by Travelers Risk Control Group, right? Like it's, it literally says, on the page, Traveler's Risk Control. That's that's who wrote this article. An insurance company, and within the insurance company, their risk control like department, section, whatever, person, wrote an article about three steps to help attract and retain skilled manufacturing talent. Now that seems like a different hat, if you ask me. That's not the same thing. <laughs> it's very different things. Um, but that said, um, it is very interesting the uh, the steps that they kind of came up with, and some of them are really good, and some of them are just like you could tell um, they were on the right track. It's just not necessarily their wheelhouse. So, what are the three steps? What are the three steps? They are um, a. Let me see. Let me make sure. Okay, three steps. Um, one, attract qualified manufacturing talent. Well, that doesn't, it already doesn't make sense, right? Because it says three steps to help attract, retain, attract and retain skilled manufacturing talent. And then the first step is to attract qualified talent. So I guess the, the, the qualification there is qualified. <laughs> Um, manufacturing talent um, 
it's just like that's okay it's not great not very promising from the get-go but we'll just we'll roll with it right so attract qualified manufacturing talent step two is develop talent pipeline and step three is prepare for a changing workforce so within step one um this is what they recommend for recruitment and onboarding and so this is uh this is interesting because step one it states attract qualified manufacturing talent it says you know make sure that when you're posting the job listings you want to you want to accurately describe the job demands like you want to be detailed about it which i'm which is really important it's very true that you want to you want to make sure that the the requirements and the demands of the job like if there's a physical component you got to be clear so that way somebody doesn't come in they have all the technical expertise but they need to be able to lift you know a 50 pound piece of machinery from here to there every once in a while that you know they're able to do that too like that, that, having that kind of stuff clear from the get-go is very important um but i mean and so what that does is uh you know some people might think that okay well that doesn't attract people that that will push people away like okay well i can't do that um because i can't lift 50 pounds and i can do all of the work and i understand how to work with that equipment but i can't lift that much weight or the other way around i can lift that much weight but i don't know how to work with the equipment well what this does is again it's not just attracting people to the job it's attracting qualified talent you want people you want to get you want to actively repel the people that are not fits for the job that's what you want to do. You want to be pushing away 99% and attracting in that 1%. And then you sifting through that 1% to find the 0.01%, the person you actually want to hire. But then in the middle of this step of attracting, step one, remember, is attract qualified manufacturing talent. So the first thing that they say is, you know, accurately describe the job. Cool. It seems like a random one to, to really put first, but that's okay. That's okay. It's, it is good. Um, then it skips into onboarding. Onboarding, the process of, of bringing somebody who has been hired and like walking them through the facility and showing them what they're going to be doing and introducing them to people and getting them enrolled in like their training programs or on the job training or who is going to be their mentor uh, you know, how things work, the scheduling, all the different POCs. How does that attract qualified talent? It doesn't, and it's just it's another one. It's one of those things that, like, this was written by the risk traveler risk control group people. Like, it's just, what are you talking about? It's absolutely bananas. And this is why there's a, this is one of the pre- one of the reasons there's a problem here is that you don't have qualified people giving a real answer, real solutions to this in a way that makes sense. Like, and it's not to say that onboarding isn't important. Onboarding is super important. But if you can't even, like, in your head, in your mind, you can't even put these things in a way that makes sense, it's just immediately discrediting. And it, and it really threw me off. Um, but what they did follow on is... Uh, two very interesting things that I thought were important after that, which is create a model hire. Um, so that's, uh, you know, they didn't do a good job of explaining this, but essentially what you want to do here is is you want the kind of perfect employee. And and what this does, what the, what the activity of creating the perfect employee does is it gives you kind of tangible attributes and tangible 
knowledge points and experience that that this person has. And then what you can do is you can use those attributes and those things like in if you do this exercise and you do it like if you have a couple of partners or if you are, you know, pitching it around with like your HR people, it just depends on the size of your organization, or even if it's just you. You know, if if you create the model higher and like for this position, we need a person to have this many years experience in the field. They have to understand how to work with this type of equipment. Um, you know, we're willing to train on ours because this is a proprietary piece of technology or whatever, but, but you need to know, you need to have spent this much time working around it and that kind of stuff and what, you know, whatever else. And so you want to make sure you have all that listed out because that way, when you have three, four, five, six, fifteen different people that have applied for this job, you can grade them. You can create a grading scale against each one of these kind of components. And that's something that I'll, I'm going to dive into more in a different episode. We'll go full hog into like a, a modeling uh, a model hire. Um, and then the other one, the other part of this is attracting qualified manufacturing talent. The step one was be willing to train, and that's that goes into kind of the model hire and everything. But it's you right now, especially for manufacturing, but for a lot of industries, it's going to be very important for you to take the people who are on the verge of retiring and use them to create a kind of training program to to help bring people on, um, you know, in a way that's most effective, most efficient, most effective, um, and then and then it's really important for you to structure your offer. This is not in this article. This is just me spitballing um, from stuff that I know is that you don't want to just train people and have them come on and then quit later on, like very shortly after your people that are on the path towards retirement that you want to use to be able to create a program of training. (laughs) You need to, you need to make sure that it's a quality program and, and part of it, part of your focus there with that is retention, right? Like you want to make sure that you're not investing this time into people who are just going to turn around and quit when things get a little bit tough. Um, and there are ways to do it. There are ways to make your culture and to shift your work culture into one that that is more conducive to talent retention. Um, but what their next thing, right? Again, this article being about um, attracting and retaining skilled manufacturing talent is develop a talent pipeline. <clears throat> Um, they talk about this Harvard Business School report on the middle skills gap. Uh, it encourage, it should be encouraging employers to think of sourcing middle skills talent with the same rigor as they optimize their material supply chains, right? So basically like the way that you go about your supply chains and making sure that you have all of your stuff that all of the, the actual materials, all the metals, all the plastics that you need for your production, um, that you just as aggressively pursue that, that middle skills, um, employee kind of resource. Cause it is, that's what it is. That's why they call it. I mean, human resources, human resources got a, a terrible name and, and not for no reason. Um, what I mean to say is for good reason on many occasions or, Perhaps not many or most, but enough to to kind of trigger people uh, like, oh my God, HR. Like, <laughs> HR can be an amazing resource if it's done right. It can change the whole game, going far beyond just like legal 
requirements and whatever the case may be, but looking at the side of changing people's lives, both on the management and on the employee or managed side of the house can make a huge difference if it's done right. <clears throat> and when you look at your humans as a resource, right? And not just not purely as a resource, but as a human resource, they have people like these, these people are bringing this, this vitally important component to this. Like I can't make my plastic bottles without plastic, but guess what? I can't make my plastic bottles with plastic unless I have a person who's running the machine to do it. You know what I mean? And so like you have to look at it that way and you have to think the way that we think about, okay, well, you know, Based on the demand for the next six months, you know, we're going to need this much plastic. Well, based on the demand for the next six months, how many people are you going to need to be running the machines and and to, to make that amount of plastic, right? If you understand how much, like, and I'm sure that you do, but if you understand how to, how to project that out and how to say, like, okay, well, if I have four guys, you know, working this machine basically on, or, you know, for 12 hour shifts, uh, 24 hours a day, um, you know, and five days a week or something like that, uh, then, then we're able to produce, you know, we have two machines that are producing plastic bottles. We got one guy, one guy can work at a time, then they do it and then they get off their shift and the next guy comes in and we're basically just kind of keep this ball rolling for five days out of the week. Um, okay. What would happen if we hired, uh, two more people and we did three shifts would each shift become more productive than the one before how much more productive versus the cost would we be able to work in with those with six people now would we be able to work in saturdays how much more does that bring in and you, you play around with that right and 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 find a way to make that work but um it's it's understanding that in the same way that you understand the amount of plastic, like, okay, what well, we, we have to produce 600,000 of these tubes, you know, at this length between now and the next six months. And we need, um, in order to do that, then you, you need to be able to calculate how many people that we need, do we need to have? And, and, and what are the risks involved with having this many, if we go with the fewest amount of people, like, okay, what if somebody gets hurt? What if, uh, you know, they get worn out? What if something happens to their car? And like, and, and we hit this point where there's not somebody there to backfill. Um, so that goes into um, the pipeline, right? Preparing, developing that talent pipeline. And what they don't talk about here is is the amount of planning that needs to, and planning and action that needs to go into uh, the the preparation, right? Like the the constant work that your pipeline needs, right? They so you need to develop your pipeline. Um, but that makes it sound build pipeline, uh, developed talent pipeline sounds like you develop the pipeline and then you're good. But like, this is another thing. This is an enduring task that needs uh, kind of constant attention. And it's one of those things, just like most other things, when you have a baby, Baby requires a lot of attention in the beginning. And as they get older, they require, they're a little bit more self-sustaining. It's the same thing there. Like you got to spend a lot of time really understanding the different positions within your organization to have like your org chart, to have a really good, amazing org chart. This is another one of those things that I will definitely dive full on into in a different episode. Um, but w when you have an, an org chart that's, that's 
worked out and then you can you can create future org charts that compare to your current org chart and and you can kind of map your way from one to the other like if if this is if you sit there and create your most ideal org chart to you know for for optimal production you know and then you look at that cross reference that with where you're at you know there's there there are ways to do that it's very very interesting stuff and i'm actually looking forward to that episode because that'd be that'd be a good one um but it's not my point is that it's not a stagnant thing you need to you need to give it a lot of attention you have to do a lot of kind of work on the front end a lot of planning work and then it becomes a little bit less but then you want to you need to be taking actions to to keep that pipeline alive to you don't want you don't want somebody to be like oh hey you know it turns out i'm gonna retire i'm gonna quit i'm going into this different industry and then you or i just got a better offer from somebody down the road doing the same job you know you don't you don't want your recruitment campaign to start then and i mean you you don't want to start thinking about it then you know what i mean like oh man i gotta put this i gotta like write a job description like can i use the same job description that i used when i hired this person oh shoot it turns out that i actually had that person referred to me i didn't even write a job description for it so this person just fell into my lap and i don't even have it now i have to create this whole thing from scratch like no (laughs) no 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 that is not the way to do it you need to have all of these things already done and you need to be it needs to be uh on a, a kind of a constant um running reel and and you should have a list of like these kind of ideal people that you would want to bring in and you know these targets that you want to like talent targets that you want like oh man if i could get him that would be great i know he's working over there but i want to keep him on my list because in six months maybe two three years something happens and i give him a call like hey i don't know how you doing just want to check in maybe i'll take you out to lunch and then you and then you get a feeling like hey you know what turns out like some stuff's going on in his life and he needs he needs to change you know he needs flexibility you know what i can offer that to him because i want him over here but that's there's there's a lot to that basically the point is that you don't pipelines don't exist in a vacuum they exist and the opposite they cannot exist in a vacuum they, they must exist in in the atmosphere in the world around you and you have to be stoking it and you want to get it to a point when it's developed enough and that's another thing that this doesn't really um dive into it's like just one last little bullet not even a bullet it wasn't even its own bullet it's the last little comment in a sub bullet of this point it was like workforce planning <laughs> it was like that's like the most key thing that you have to be planning the workforce. Um, it should be its whole own point. Like, the, the, honestly, the workforce planning, yeah, yeah. It should at least be its whole own point under developed talent pipeline. But, uh, you know, I'm not the author of this article. I'm just, uh, I'm just, you know, I'm just me. Just a talent, just a talent manager. <laughs> what do I know? Um, another interesting part about this, um, beyond that, another way to kind of develop that pipeline uh, cool, interesting strategy that they actually brought up that I thought was good was partnering with community colleges and schools. Like you want to be, you want this is another thing about leaning forward. Um, you want to create uh, an environment within the community that that paints you in a positive light. There's ways to do this through social media. There's ways to, to do this through uh, uh, charitable donations, charitable works. 
um, collaborations with events um, and then to kind of pave the road when your name is out there and all these positive kind of things and then you're showing up in the schools you're showing up in in the high schools and you're showing up in the community colleges and you're doing this partnership there was something like a 72% this was from the article 72% describing such programs as an effective strategy to develop a skilled production workforce now there's a lot of subjectivity in there that I don't like and I actually went to the source article for that and I couldn't pin it down either, which I also didn't like. It made me feel very insecure in this, which is why I'm letting you know. This isn't my stat. This is from them. And it didn't seem to be well referenced. Um, this, and what I don't like about it is that it says, as an effective strategy to develop skilled productive production workforce. What, I need details. Like, how was it effective? What What are the... What were the numbers before versus after? Give me some comparisons. Um, give me the type of uh, a longevity that people had, um, you know, and so on and so forth. Like, I just, it's not enough, you know. But doing that, but partnering with these places will allow you and in, in, in the communication necessary to let them know, you know, like these, like, listen, I don't need a degree. Like your people don't need a degree to get here. If they take these courses or they get these certificates that you guys provide, or if you guys can get access to be able to provide these certificates, then we, and you do this, we can offer jobs for people that, that leave here with that certificate. Now, if they want to get a degree too, that's, that's on them. That's on you guys. But if you need a, if, if for your organization they need a certificate to fulfill a certain job you can work you can try to work that in with the school to see if they can do something to provide that kind of certification which i think is great step three was prepare for a changing workforce and this is good we kind of touched on this a little bit before and it has to do with like retirements and people um getting ready to leave and kind of creating that transfer of knowledge program taking your retirees taking the people that are even if they're not retiring even if they're getting ready to leave the sector if they've found that passion that they love and they're like hey turns out that um all of these wood tables that i'm making at home people want to buy them and uh, i've been doing that for a while and then i can do that for my sole income now and you're like good for you man like hey how about this can i offer you um you're gonna do that full-time can i offer you a part-time job you know, uh, where you come in and you do a skills training thing two days a week, three days a week, you know, and we do, can we do three days a week for two months and then two days a week for another month after that? And like, you can negotiate these kinds of things with them as they're, as they're getting ready to walk out the door and you can do the same thing for people that are getting ready to retire, right? You want to find a way to transfer the skills to the new people that are coming in because that one-on-one -on -one kind of training or that one to few kind of training is so powerful. And so understanding the dynamics of the workforce and, and leveraging what you have now as resources into, um, you know, the less qualified resources, excuse me, resources that are coming in is, is going to be crucial. But just because there are, um, there's these powerful uh, misperceptions, especially, uh, you know, about the workforce nowadays, and especially when it comes to the manufacturing, this is the, this is like specifically to the manufacturing folks. Cause I'm going to try to, a lot of this applies to um, almost everything we've talked about applies across the board for people, um, for all industries and all domains. And so I'm try, I'll try to be clear when, when I'm giving you information that is specific towards one industry or another, but this is very specific towards manufacturing. Um, there are three myths that are really hindering the manufacturing field right now. And they are, 
um, how people look, the perception of, of training and certificates versus degrees. Um, the perception of, right, so people like look down upon uh, certifications and, and if you don't get like a four a four year degree or bachelor's degree or master's degree, then, you know, then there's a perception that you're not going to get paid as much. Um, your opportunities are going to be less. So this is something that's holding back the manufacturing industry. Another one is the perception of decline due to offshoring jobs. And I need to do a little bit more research on this, but there was, I saw an article that was written recently that said by 2020, so we should be able to vet this because this is like two years ago now, by 2020, manufacturing in the United States should be number one in the world exceeding China, right? So I need to verify that number, but I know that as per that article, and I don't remember when it was written, but it was um, that we were set to exceed China in manufacturing, that we were creating things like like the propellers for the drones and, and insoles for shoes. Like we were manufacturing those here. And that's, I mean, even for me, that was, that was a big uh, eye opener for me that like, we have that level of manufacturing in the United States, because in my head, we are offshoring everything. And it's the, it's actually been on the increase to become number one in the world, which I think is great. Um, but there's a perception, there's, that's not the perception that, that, that is happening. And so there's, there's a branding problem in the manufacturing industry across organizations, across companies that has to be addressed. Um, and you start the same way that I'm starting with, you know, I was looking at the individual and, and where they spend most of their time and how do we change their lives for the better? Like, okay, well, we can work with the business and we can make the businesses better. And by making the businesses culture better for those individuals, we make their individual lives better, right? It's the same, it's the same thing here. Um, you know, we, we, as organizations, you don't have to try and change the world's perception of manufacturing. It's not your job, but if you change your communities, you get into your community, you show them the jobs, you show them the competitive pay advantages, you show them what, you know, your benefits and what you're able to offer. You can, it can make a huge difference and you show them a career path, right? And, and, and respectability and, and you bring in people that have been working there and like the lives that they lead, you know, like paint the picture for them, show them the compelling future by throwing it in their face, bringing the people to talk that school uh, uh, you know, assemblies and what have you. Um, and then of course they throw in, because it's the safety place, they're like continuous and tailored safety training. Like they just, they're just like, hey man, safety, like safety, safety, safety. It was there too, it was earlier. And it was actually, um, oh, where was it? Under... Oh, biscuits. It was early on uh, in the article where it talked about another. Okay, 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 here we go. It says, um, it was like before they even got to the bullet points of the three things. Um, it was almost 28% of workplace injuries occur within the first year of employment. And then six, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then six out of 10 positions may go unfilled or may not be filled in a timely fashion, forcing businesses to look for alternative solutions or if, for example, a less qualified hire. And those two things I think go directly hand in hand, right? Because you get less qualified hires, more likely to get hurt, especially within the first year. After the first year, you kind of get trained and get the hang of things. 
Um, and so, I mean, you're talking about 30% of the injuries, almost 30% of the workplace injuries occur within the first year of employment. That's a lot. Um, it's because your first year versus all of the rest of the years. Right? <laughs> so a third of them, almost a third of them are happening within that first year. So that's something that you can address, especially when you think about retainability. You don't want, you know, a good marketing campaign does not include people that are getting taken out of that workforce within the first year due to injuries. Um, and then another, another fun uh, statistic that was thrown in, out in the beginning that wasn't necessarily a safety one, but it was uh, an industry survey by the Manufacturing Institute revealed that it takes an average of 70 days to recruit skilled production workers and further on-the-job training on sophisticated and often customized production line equipment. And so this goes back to what I was talking about with like you need to have the production uh, – the um, the pipeline, that talent pipeline, you need to have that established and kind of constantly running and churning. Like, like, you know, it takes a lot of effort to get that fire kind of built and you know, you got to collect all the wood, you got to, you got to build it up and then you got to start it and you got to have all the kindling. But once it's up and going, like you just got to throw a log on every once in a while. And so this is the same kind of thing. You got to throw the log on because if you're trying to start the fire, um, that's that whole 70 day process. So like, I, it wasn't me just, just talking hyperbolically, like by the industry, by the manufacturing Institute. Right. So, and you can find that at the manufacturing Institute.org. Um, it takes 70 days to recruit skilled production workers, you know, and that's, that's the recruiting. You still have to, after you get the 70 days of recruiting, then you still have to do on the job training, when you have specialized equipment that they may not be familiar with, well, they're really good. They have a lot of experience, but they haven't worked with that specific piece of equipment. Um, so then it takes even more, right? So you're talking like months, months and months, like a quarter at least, you know, for, to, to get these people up and running. And that's, that's the powerful stuff here, man, is that like you, you can take proactive, um, courses of action in order to, to stymie this, to, to mitigate this risk. And it's something that I think that we all need to be thinking about. Um, and that's uh, that's really what I wanted to cover today. This is, I guess, this is the first episode. So I was really pumped. I have an, uh, another show that I do that's called Real Resilience with Matthew Listalia, me. Um, and that's where I, I talk about kind of like the worker side and really um, like the human side of like motivation and resilience and grit and determination. Because I was a I was a master resilience trainer in the army for about six years. I continued resilience mastery training um, on the outside on my own um, for years after that, and uh, and it's something that I'm very passionate about. And like I said, that's kind of what that's what brought me in to this side to this strategy to this business um, was considering how to best implement those tactics and strategies that I learned there. And so I just I wanted to thank you guys. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming and spending some time with me today. I hope that you got some some you know value out of today's episode. If you did, please, please like this um, video, like this podcast. Uh, more importantly is subscribe and on whatever if you're on a podcast version of this and please, um, if you feel like I earned it, give me that five-star review. Um, and like I said, if it's on the YouTubes and you're watching, thank you. We appreciate you. And uh, and I, I love to have you guys here. And so 
We will continue doing these. If you guys continue to show up, you continue to like and share the show and subscribe. I will continue to show up to do this and we can do it all over again next week. I appreciate y'all. Have an amazing rest of your week and I will see you next time.